Show me today. Democratic St. Louis Senator Stephen Roberts joins us now on Show Me Today. Um, Anthony Morbeth is here to speak with him. He is hoping his priority on taking old vacant downtown buildings helps revitalize cities across Missouri. Let's start with Senate Bill 792, Revitalizing Missouri Downtowns and Main Streets Act. And I especially think this is interesting just from the point of view of someone who's from a Rust Belt city himself. So what this legislation would do would provide an incentive for folks to develop these vacant commercial spaces that are in downtown locations. You know, right now in the city of St. Louis, about 20% of our um, uh, commercial spaces in downtown of the city are vacant. So you've got these properties that are really just nuisances to the area. They're too expensive to tear down, and we really need an incentive to help folks to be able to do something with them. So if you're familiar with downtown St. Louis, you may know the AT&T Tower. It's over 1.4 million square feet, and it has just been sitting vacant for years. So your bill would authorize tax credits to convert these large buildings. And and before we get into your answer, I, I recognize that you uh, represent St. Louis primarily, but I'm pretty sure this is also statewide, right? That's right. It is statewide, um, and it is used, focused on utilizing tax credits to incentivize um, developers to rehab these commercial spaces and turn it into residential. So right now, um, downtown St. Louis, it only has a population of just over 5,000 people. For comparison, you know, almost 20,000 folks live in the central western area. I especially think this is interesting. So basically turning these buildings that are, have been left vacant into retail, commercial, and residential use. And uh, I, from a personal example, I used to live in a building that was built 120 years ago that was a bank in the Pittsburgh region, and they turned it and converted it into apartments and things like that. And, and I think that that's especially cool because, at least from the point of view of a residential, there's always a shortage of housing and especially affordable housing and things like that. So tax credits for that, explain more of the details on how this would work. It's particularly with those commercial spaces, unlike warehouses and other facilities, it really is just the, the cost perspective of someone to go in and rehab and make these residential. It did, the numbers just don't work. So by providing tax credits to give a little incentive to developers, you know, we've been working very closely actually with uh, Greater STL as far as developing the language and the business community and local leaders also to say, all right, you know, what would it take to get someone in here to do something with these large commercial spaces? Um, you know, me, my focus has been on downtown St. Louis. There's a lot of exciting things going on in the region, you know, from the new soccer stadium to things like T-Rex. I mean, downtown, I mean, the baseball stadium has so much going for it. Um, and, you know, it's my belief that if we're able to kind of get more folks down there, the region will only do better. Um, these types of vacant buildings, unfortunately, you know, not only hurt property values, but, you know, without that population density, there's more crime and things like that. So, you know, by being able to get people living and participating in these areas, I mean, because, you know, as you may be aware, a lot of folks, they, you know, live out in the county and commute into the city. And you've got like, for example, it's not downtown, but the NGA site as well. I mean, you can have a huge influx, influx of folks who want to live in the city. And, you know, there's beautiful opportunities for that. That's what we're trying to help create. Is, is this based on building size? My reason in asking is more like say someone in rural Missouri, if there's a building that, for example, falls under this qualification, would that work? Uh, it is based off building size, and it's under the um, Main Street statute. I, I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but that kind of explores, you know, the um, uh, requirements for these commercial spaces. So whether it be downtown St. Louis or rural Missouri, you know, if they meet that size requirement. 
with regard to the tax credits, how do the finances for this work? Is there a yearly cap that the legislature would uh, appropriate for this? Uh, there is a yearly cap. I believe it's $50 billion each year as far as the, the tax incentive, and I think it's up to 25%. And a follow-up, how would that be paid for? Uh, as far as the um, – well, you know, I, I think that the development as far as, you know, getting folks in, um, rehabbing it, that will more than make up – for the cost of any loss that the state might have. I mean, you know, St. Louis actually has the third highest uh, GDP in the entire state. And if you're just tuning in, we are talking with Democratic State Senator Stephen Roberts. We're talking about his legislative priorities for this coming session. And before we continue on in the discussion, tune in to show me today, wherever it is you get your podcast. You also could listen to entire episodes also through our website at MissouriNet.com. Let's sort of uh, change subjects here. You're uh, Senate Bill 790, unlawful possession of a firearm by someone under age 18. Uh, talk about this bill and what would it do? So I'd say the number one issue that I get while I'm talking with community leaders, constituents, members of the business community, it's gun violence in the city of St. Louis and what can we do to address that? Um, and trying to find something that folks from both sides of the aisle can agree on because, you know, we've got a super Republican majority here in the state legislature. Um, but unfortunately, we're one of only two states where there is no state crime for minors to possess firearms. So you have a lot of kids, unfortunately, who are running with the wrong crowds, end up um, uh, committing um, crimes with firearms. And unfortunately, law enforcement can't do anything until something bad has happened. It's it's like, you know, putting a stop sign up at an intersection after someone's been run over. So what we're trying to do is empower law enforcement to do something when you have minors possessing firearms. Um, you know, speaking with our uh, juvenile divisions, one of the things they struggle with is because it's not an enumerated offense, it makes it very difficult for them to get them into, for example, diversion programs or things like that, whereas if they were able to actually charge them with the crimes, so we're really doing a lot more harm than good. Is there currently an offense for a minor holding or being in possession of a gun a at all? No, not at all. It's just us in New Hampshire. Whereas there, so there is a federal offense, but you know, as you can imagine, our federal agencies are, are more focused on... Um, more serious crimes, but so, you know, it's our local law enforcement that they're, you know, not able to do anything. And it is kind of, it is narrowly tabled, uh, tailored to just handguns. So right now it, there is a federal crime. So this just matches that. So it's not like we're really creating a new criminal offense. We're just empowering our local law enforcement to um, uh, handle these types of crimes. I believe the bill is written requiring written consent for certain uh, situations like temporary transfer, possession of someone under 18 for employment, farming, hunting, things like that. So I can imagine, because a lot of our radio stations uh, are in rural communities, and rural communities, hunting and fishing is tends to be pretty popular. So uh, let's talk hunting in this case. Especially Missouri has a youth portion of firearms. How does that work? Because the youth portion goes from ages 6 to 15. So this would only apply to um, handguns. So, for example, if you know, you're hunting with a rifle or things like that, this wouldn't affect you. But also, you know, we took this piece of legislation to our Republican colleagues and said, look, Give me any exception you can think of a scenario where you think that this law could be misinterpreted, misused. Like we want to work with you on this to, you know, accomplish our goals, but make sure, you know, we're not hurting folks who want to, you know, lawfully use a firearm, hunting, things like that. I, I totally understand that perspective as well. We got to the point where even the NRA agreed that they weren't going to take a position against this piece of legislation. So you've got one of the most conservative organizations, I'd argue, in the nation kind of, you know, looking at this and I think, 
understanding that this is pretty reasonable and we're just mirroring the federal standards. So, you know, if you're, you know, I understand that in some families, you know, guns are a big part of their lives and culture, and it is not our intention to infringe on that right at all. It's just, you know, what do we do about kids who are running around our cities committing crimes? And I think this is a compromise piece of legislation that anyone can vote for. To that same end, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up these other two things that I have a feeling some of our listeners may potentially bring up. And that is, uh, number one, uh, serving in the military. I believe that there's going to be, at least in this case, permission. I mean, it has to be because you're serving in the military. And and also uh, self-defense purposes. So can you speak on those two as well? Yeah, absolutely. So those would would not be issues, um, you know, if, if you're, like I said, kind of lawfully using a firearm. And, and, you know, it would I'd be hard pressed to find a situation where you would have a, a prosecutor, you know, looking at coming after someone for the possession of a weapon, you know, if they're using it in self-defense or something like that. Because, again, you know, any case, you know, a prosecutor is going to have to look at and see if our charges warranted in the situation. So, you know, I really welcome anyone if they pull up the bill. Um, 790. And if they think of something that maybe I hadn't thought of um, that we would want to put in there, I'd be very open to that as well. But I'm pretty sure we covered most of the exceptions. And again, you know, anything in here would have to already be uh, a federal crime, basically. So any situation that kind of you're talking about that you were you're mentioning, um, if it's not already a federal crime, then um, it it's this isn't creating a new penalty. So, you know, whether it be self-defense situation or anything else, it would have to have already been a federal crime. So it's not creating a new law. New law. It's putting what is already a federal crime into state code. So you know, you've kind of got those two law enforcement agencies, the federal side and the state side. So technically, um, you know, a federal officer couldn't force this, but I would imagine that, you know, most parents aren't doing anything. I would hope not that are, you know, would be considered a federal crime. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri.